Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Record Store Day co-founder Michael Kurtz. Great ideas start small. One man, one problem, one idea. Six years ago, the music business was in a free fall. Corporate record stores were going out of business seemingly daily, and independent record stores were struggling to keep their doors open. And then a small group of record aficionados and independent record store owners got together and hatched a great idea. A day designed to foment interest in record stores by connecting bands and fans in their common love of music. A day intended to stir the coals of interest in the archaic but uber-cool vinyl record format. A day to celebrate all that is cool about independent record stores. A day called Record Store Day. It started small, a handful of stores and several exclusive releases, but by 2013, Record Store Day is celebrated annually on the third Saturday in April, and it features hundreds of exclusive releases by artists large and small in thousands of record stores worldwide. Michael Kurtz was one of those co-founders of Record Store Day, and part of that great idea was his. He watched the retail music business dying, and he didn't like what he saw. So the seeds were sown, and then they grew, and now on Record Store Day 2013, music fans around the world can drop into their neighborhood record store on a Saturday in April, catch a rocking in-store performance by a great band, pick up a stack of vinyl records, and celebrate all that is right with the world. Michael was kind enough to spend an hour talking with me about where Record Store Day came from and where it's going. My name is Joe Armstrong, and I'm in the back of uh, Vacation Vinyl here on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. I'm talking to Michael Kurtz. He is the one of the founders of Record Store Day, which is this big event that takes place. This is the sixth annual year that they're doing this event, and it's a way to foment interest in the resurgence of vinyl and the independent record store business at large. So, Michael, thank you very much for being on the show. You're welcome. It's, uh, it's great to have you. So give me a little bit of your background. Like, uh, What is your history with the record business? I, mean, I imagine it's changed quite a bit in your career. Uh, yeah, I started out buying records in the third grade, saving lunch money to buy them. And uh, then I got my first job in a record store in 1978, uh, in a little urban record store in Wilmington, North Carolina. We mainly uh, uh, you know, catered to uh, urban customers. We sold a lot of stuff like Barkays, Confunction, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Curtis Blow, all that kind of stuff. But we did also sell like Fleetwood Mac and Tom Petty and Talking Heads and Pretenders and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a good time for music. So that's what it started. Uh, I was a musician uh, for many years. Um, actually, had a record come out on the Hip Tone label, seven inch single, which was famous for the first REM record, which Omnivore Records is is part of their celebration for Record Store Day is putting out this year on Record Store Day. Just so it's kind of an art. It's cool to see the art be brought back into uh, what, what I'm doing because I've been focused on record stores for the last 15 years really yeah and so then what where were you when you hatched this idea for record story what were you doing in the business I guess like six or seven years ago when this idea came about as you know and you're one of the co-founders yeah. of this there's a kind of a handful of people yeah. right um, I was like a lot of people on the record store side of things, a little bit um, unnerved, unhinged, I'd say, because Tower had just closed 
and there was a lot of negative um, energy about the music business and uh, every time you picked up Rolling Stone it was about how all the record stores are going out of business and whatnot so like I was hanging out with a lot of the guys that I work with who run record stores all over the country and in Canada too and uh, the guy who was the chairman of my company kind of said to me his name is Brian he's like hey everybody thinks we suck um, and we're irrelevant do something about it and so I started brainstorming and uh, talk with different friends and you know everybody brought their ideas to it um, the first one that was meaningful was a guy from uh, Maine his name is Chris Brown and he suggested we do what the comic book stores were doing with free comic day and create a day to sort of celebrate music um, instead of comics and uh, so it started with just an idea, like, okay, well, we know we want to celebrate. We want to create this sort of a real holiday for music, but how do we do it? And then I started reaching out to other friends, and, I, and, I, and this comes up a lot in conversation because I do consider almost all these people friends. I don't, I, I never got into music to make money. Um, I make a living, but I, it's not really what, you know, it wasn't like a prime motivator. Um, so these friends, you know, happen to like, work with major artists and whatnot and Paul McCartney was one of the first people to write us an email and say I love record stores and I love what you're you want to do and I totally support record store day and he's done a record store day release ever since every year um Metallica was the first band to say okay we'll celebrate with an event at our neighborhood record store uh, a store called Rasputin in San Francisco I'm just mentioning all these things because in the beginning it was all about that I ran into Billy Bragg at the airport had been a fan of his and said hey this is what I'm doing he goes oh no I've read about you in Mojo I read about what you're doing um and I realize as I'm saying this it sounds like it's a lot me like I'm centric it's not I mean uh I happen to be a pivotal person in in pulling it together and I still remain that pivotal person but it only exists because the other people want it to it's almost like a twilight zone kind of thing yeah but we all <laughs> in some ways you know we owe a debt of gratitude to all the people that help us help us push us along yeah. girlfriends boyfriends wives husbands uh you know that's pretty normal in the human condition to have you know we yeah. have we have an idea but it seldom it's reaches true. fruition by yourself it's true but I I, I say this because you you let me know you're a music business person in the music business our, our world is full of showboats. You know, uh, the, the biggest and best of them are the artists themselves. God bless them. But in, on the business side, there's a lot of people that are like, I invented, you know, the MP3 or yeah. I'm the guy who invented. And I, I, you know, I always sort of cringe when I see somebody do that because, first of all, I always think to myself, you know, bullshit. Very, I'm sorry, is that a bad word? Uh, nonsense. Um, uh, so I think to myself, nonsense, that's not real. Most, most great ideas come about because of a team of people. There may be one person in, that's sort of the, the front of it, but very rare is it like, you know, somehow yeah. the idea fully sprung from his brain, totally. like some kind of mythological God or something, you know, that's not real. And that's what well, even, even the artists themselves were the, probably the most narcissistic of the bunch. Yeah. You know, even they, I mean, there's a few people that did it on their own, but yeah. even the ones that think they did it on their own really kind of didn't. I mean, they no. had people helping them along, you yeah. know, their folks giving them money for a guitar. I mean, you, you know, it's, we're, we're seldom islands. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And then you, and my favorite bands are the ones where they love each other and uh, it is not until they stop loving each other and they start getting into the narcissistic behavior that their music starts to suffer. Yeah. Um, 
And then you have some artists who pick up on that early and then leave the band before that happens. Yeah. But it's a very real thing. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's no band that's immune to uh, that kind of pressure. No. I mean, look at the Beatles, you I, know, the I, biggest I band ever. That. You know, they got so involved in the music side, started losing money on the music side. You know, they made plenty, but they, they yeah. spent a lot yeah. and in uh-huh. strange ways. Yeah. Uh, started their label, Apple, and, uh, you know, they it ate them up too. Yeah, and, and, you know, you look at uh, the bands who came after them who saw what happened with them, like Queen or somebody like that, which, you know, I'm fascinated by them. I wasn't into them that much at the time. I liked their music, but I didn't buy it because it I'd kind of moved past prog rock by the time that happened. Or if I, if I was into it, it would be more, even more prog rock, like King Crimson or something right. like that. Marillion. Yeah, <laughs> Marillion, oh my God. Now, <laughs> now you're digging deep. There, there's at least five Marillion fans out there, I'm sure. Yeah. Seriously, a really good Tears of the Jester or whatever, their first album was quite good. I'll give you that. But um, no, Queen was a band that they were in love with each other, and you saw that all the way to the end. And when, when Freddie died, they were so caring and, and nurturing toward him. And, and all their music has that, all the way to innuendo at the very yeah. end. I mean, it breaks your heart when you hear the show must go on. And, you know, and it's the band right behind Freddie, yeah. like going, yes, the show must go on. So. Yeah, so I think love is a pretty big, important thing in uh, what's happened with Record Store. They've taken it full circle. Because I remember when it when it first exploded, I felt very much like a, a beetle in a way, in the sense that um, we, I knew we had created something spectacular and something amazing, and it needed to be protected very much like, uh, you know, uh, a good band will do. You know, like we took the effort to have the... the, the the logo trademark so somebody couldn't bastardize it. Um, you know, we took, I took the time to go meet, meet with people in Europe and Japan to say, Hey, this is what we're doing. I believed in it enough to do that. You know, um, prior to that, I, the idea of me going to Europe to talk about record stores or Japan was just, it's just ridiculous. It just, <laughs> well, yeah. Even, I mean, what a time to do what you did because you're, I mean, everyone was floundering at that time. I mean, the, the bottom had fallen yeah. out of the business and nobody knew where the bottom was yeah. and if it would ever even reach it. I mean, even now just last month or uh, February, I think the music business posted its first growth yeah. in 13 years. It's a very small growth, yeah. but you know, maybe we've seen the bottom. What do you think? Oh, I think so. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a combination of things. I mean, from for the music, the true music fan, uh, I think Record Store Day and what we've done with uh, reinventing the whole vinyl business. And I I don't say that with like any puffed up sense of greatness or anything, but uh, it, we did. I mean, when we started Record Store Day, I think there was like two or three plants left and they were handling about 200,000, maybe $300,000 a year in business. You know, it was, it was gone. Um, we got involved, got the labels involved, mainly Warner brothers. I have to say Warner brothers was the most proactive of all the labels and saying, okay, we'll get behind this idea and we'll help you to do it. So, uh, Warner brothers was the first label to really understand what we're doing and, and helped us to release a few records in the, I think there was like 10 of them at, at, in the beginning. Almost all of them were Warner Music releases. And uh, I, I remember the stores bought $30,000 worth of stuff. And it seemed like a lot, a lot of money. And we didn't know whether it would happen. or. But here we are six years later. And we did 300, over 350 releases for Record Store Day. 
and the total wholesale billing on record store day releases is is starting to get close to ten million dollars. Those are good numbers, man. Those are really good numbers, and it's what takes me back to what you were saying. Do I feel hopeful about the music business? I think we have reignited um, something that true music fans will love. I mean, anybody that works in a record store would tell you that ten to fifteen percent of the population buys. The majority of the music everyone else is just sort of like oh if i hear it's hit song i'll i'll buy the hit song and it's always been that way um you can see that even in the digital world where almost all the majority of so uh, uh music sold is single tracks whereas we're all about albums so vinyl really helps us with that you know um I'm very hopeful about it. I'm reading Neil Young's book and he's very passionate about pure tone and his idea of like reinventing digital uh, music. So it actually, the quality is better. Um, you know, all of these things point to, to a better future, I think. Yeah. How do you think the event, you know, it's only six years old. I mean, we've got a lot of growth in six years, even, you know, in this niche kind of niche market. I mean, how has it changed over the years? Like you've got, it seems like you had such a big start, you know, actually, let's back up just a little bit, even before we get to that. I yeah. want to know, like, how did you get a band like Metallica in, and were like McCartney yeah. even involved, like right out of the gate? Like you right. had, you and these guys had these ideas like that seldom goes yeah. that way where you get this idea. Yeah. And then right away, yeah. you've got some of the biggest names in the industry behind this. Like, tell me how you okay. got names like that. That is where I come in. I think I can claim that I can't claim, you know, everything has to do with record store day. But what I'm good at is connecting with people because they can sense that I'm real and I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't really have an angle. I have no power. I can't do anything really, but I can be passionate about music and record stores. So, uh, like for McCartney, the guy who was working with his label knew me and listened to what I had to say. He goes, you know what? I'll, I'll ask, I'll get somebody to ask Paul for you. And that's, how it happened um, because it came through his channels in a way. So that was me coming through someone else. And then again with Metallica, I know one of the three managers of Metallica. So I've worked with him on and off on projects for years. So um, along with Warner Brothers, we joined together and said, hey, will you present the idea to Metallica? And he did what most managers do, try to con you know manage expectations and kind of say, well, I wouldn't count on it, you know, but you know, we'll check. But when Metallica heard the vision, as I rolled it, I explained it like this is a uh, celebration of neighborhood record stores and what we mean to the music business as a whole and to to the community. They immediately got it and said, "Oh, that's exactly what we want to do. Let count us in," you know. And yeah. then it was a matter of like doing it a way that really um, was a very positive experience. All of these things laid the groundwork for the future of Record Store Day because then I knew every time we did a major event with a major artist, like we did it later with Wilco and uh, there's been, a, you know, uh, the Foo Fighters and a bunch of, there's been a bunch of them, but I knew that it had to be done exactly right and you had to treat the fans, you know, with a lot of love and respect. And in all of this stuff, everything from the creation of the, of the Record Store Day releases to the events at the stores themselves, there's a lot of love and energy that's put into it. It isn't just sort of mindlessly thrown out. And the reason that's significant is when you talk about business, whenever something becomes corporatized, and I'm generalizing, but it is a sort of law of the physics in the business world, it, you, after it goes from being independent, it becomes 
sort of like somebody else's responsibility. Uh, there's a chain of people it's involved. The hierarchy. The hierarchy. And then what ends up happening is that oh, the harder things to get done sort of get shuffled off to the guy who can't do anything and then therefore it dies and nothing really changes. Um, you know, so I think that's the reason why it's exploded too because when I took it to this, to the other countries, you know, France and Germany and whatnot, they listened to me, you know, what I was saying. They were like, ah, oh, you know, this makes sense. And then when they tried it, you know, kaboom, it just exploded and the same thing happened for them. It's nice when a good idea gets legs, isn't it? It's great. It feels good. <laughs> it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing. Yeah. It seems like so much of life we're like floundering around looking for direction. It's, I'm so happy to hear like how well, I mean, I've read all the history of this whole thing, but to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, you know, it confirms that it, it's a great idea. You and, know, I will, I will say this, that, you know, in the beginning, and like if anybody was interested in this aspect of it, I will say this. The beginning was the hardest, and it wasn't because of uh, the artist. It was because of the record stores themselves. They, are a good number of them, were incredibly cynical. They'd been disenfranchised from the music business. They were angry. They are mad at, uh, uh, you know, what had happened to them over the years and how they'd been driven out of the business. And here I was saying, hey, guys, let's gather around. We're going to do this thing, and it's going to be cool. And, you know, I mean, it was weird. I, I, the first, first year was the hardest. I actually had uh, like a, like a hate package mailed to me. I did just, this is how bizarre it is. And I'm quite confident it came from a record store owner because they really didn't understand. There was like this built in cynicism. They thought, oh, he's working for the man or something, you know, and, uh, and as time has gone by, I've, I've had a chance to call many of them on the phone, talk to them because they're me. They're my friends. They're, it's, it's, it's easy for me to do. They, I know how to speak the language, and it's all sort of dissipated. But in the beginning, it was very difficult. And I remember having to meditate a lot just to get rid of all the bad energy. I just buys that people would be the hate that would come to me that would be like, we know what you're trying to do. And all that. and I was like, really? Cause I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is I'm trying to do something good and it ended up being that way, but it was very difficult in the minute, in the beginning. I, I imagine, you know, as vulnerable as they must've felt at the time, you know, yeah. watching the big in, industry leaders in their industry going under one by one, you know, the virgins, the, uh, well, uh, the towers. I mean, I imagine they viewed you as like the band leader in the band on the Titanic. <laughs> like the boat's going down, but they want they want you know you're coming to them and saying let's play a song, you know. Yeah, yeah. There probably was some of that. I guess I'm a little closer to it in in that um, I think that their anger was more about um, being shut out of uh, being able to sell like the really popular records because it. Through different strategies, the record labels and distributors were selling it much cheaper to distributors. They had their legal ways of doing that. Um, in their in their world, uh, they were coming from the per perspective of well, we just need to ship as many things as we can, not really talk thinking in terms of the damage it was doing to a mom and pop store who was trying to sell like you know I'm just say the latest. Uh, uh, Justin Timberlake album for twelve ninety nine, while the you know the mass merchant down the street was selling it for seven ninety nine with extra tracks or whatever. The, all these things that are very damaging to record stores, um, but are done to on a macro scale to move a lot of units. 
they were more angry about that. And, and for somebody like me to come in and say, hey, let's get reengaged. Let's reinvent the rules. Let's do it our way. They just couldn't see it. They, they just, in the beginning, it was like, you know, like uh, they thought I was like smoking pot or something, that I was delusional. I was not thinking clearly. And I, and I, and I couldn't say with any authority that, that they were wrong. I just knew that what I was doing felt right. And it, it was, you know, it, every time I would push it a little bit further, it would, get, it, would, it would connect. It would get a little bigger, a little bit bigger. Yeah. And here we are six years on, you know, it seems like, I mean, you, how many record stores are on board this year? Do you know just ballpark? Uh, well, in the United States, there's over a thousand. I imagine, I think it's around 1200. And then, uh, internationally we're celebrating every continent except for Antarctica. And I think it's like another 700 and 900 stores. Is there a record store on Antarctica? That I don't know. Maybe we'll get one in <laughs> I, 2014. I, I mean, I, I'm imagining, maybe, I don't know. I've never been. I'm having a hard time imagining. I'd be imagine too concerned either. about vinyl if I was living on Antarctica. I suppose it be getting warmer down there. So yeah, know. yeah, maybe so. Um, so, but now, again, this is just for my own numbers. Yeah. So you've got this many, you know, participating. How many record stores, independent record stores do you think there are in America now? Just ballpark. Probably two, a couple thousand. Seems like you've you got know? a major percentage of them on yeah, board. Yeah. You know, but when you, but record stores have changed so much. So, I mean, a record store now can be a store that sells cupcakes and vinyl. It's like a head and, shop. And, you know, yeah, coffee mugs or something. Yeah. It, they're all kinds of things. I mean, some of the flagship independent stores, the biggest ones say Sunrise in Toronto or, or Newberry Comics and, uh, you know, or Amoeba here in L.A., um, you go in these stores, they sell everything from movies to T-shirts to turntables to games to yeah. comic books. I mean, it's, it's everything. And I think that's part of the success and why this has been like a resurgence in this is that vinyl to me embodies an experience. It it's does. not just about playing the song, which you can do on your iPod or on your phone or on a CD or whatever. Yeah. I mean, a CD is a small version of the experience. It's like it was, it was like it was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But you know, when you open up a vinyl record, a gatefold record, and you've got you know maybe they threw a poster in, mm -hmm. and there's some artwork, even if it's crudely done, you know, there's a it's like the original multimedia experience. You know, you've got music and art and a mechanical wheel turning, and you put your that your disc on there. So yeah. when you're going into a store, you know, Amoeba is the example I'll give here, where they have T-shirts and posters and every conceivable format of music. It's part of that experience. When you're a fan of music, you want to be immersed in that. And vinyl provides that. And I think it's, I'm, I'm so happy it's around. It didn't just go away. Yeah, no, I have the same experience. I, you know, when the new Bowie album came out, I waited for it to come on vinyl. Not all, we try to get the labels to put vinyl out day and date with the digital and CD, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's packaging issues or whatever. But when I bought the new, I had already bought, I'd got the CD because, you know, I couldn't wait. But then I bought the vinyl when it came out because that's really how I wanted to experience the record. And, and to back up what you're saying, I didn't really understand the record until I put the vinyl record on and sat down with a nice bottle of wine and listened. It's like a movie. It's like, you know, it, it is, I can understand why the artwork was some kind of a weird statement on the Heroes record because there are elements of, of hit that record that are in the new Bowie album, uh, some of the darker stuff. But there's so many other things going on in the record too. It's like he's got a million things to say. I think Bowie hasn't talked more on this record since one of his early records, like Man Who Sold the World or even Space Oddity, where he's really like going on and on to tell you a story it's pretty cool but i wouldn't even known it if i hadn't because because like everybody digital 
it's such a convenient thing to do. You end up listening to it while you're doing something else. It's a passive experience. Yeah, it's a passive and the, experience. And the very nature of vinyl, because you have to select it and not drop it and not scratch yep. it. And you, it takes care and yep. love. We've mentioned love before. You have to get it out and gently put it on your thing and line up the needle. You know, doing, having, you know, it's like you're participating. Yeah. You know, whereas like a CD, you know, I mean, I guess you can, you can scratch those too, but now you just burn one anyway. You know, yeah. you probably burn it off your hear the track you downloaded anyway like the i don't want to say they're completely unromantic but they don't have the same joy to vive no but there, there was a moment when they could have and, and it may come back because that's one you know my company the department of record stores one of the things i'm trying to do is is to get record store owners together for the next big thing is like how to reinvent the cd and you might laugh about that but when we first started with record store day Part of the early discussions, a guy named Eric Levin, who runs Criminal Records in uh, Atlanta, was like, you know, we got to do these seven inch releases. And I literally laughed in his face and said, Eric, no one cares about seven inch records. Here we are six years later, you know, so seven million dollars worth of seven inch singles are shipping out to record stores around the world. Seven inch singles you would have been laughed out of a room if you'd have told somebody that this would happen. No one would believe it. So here we are with CDs and everybody's cynical about them, but I am like filled with information from having watched the music business do things right and, and wrong. And like one of the thoughts I had about getting record store owners together to talk about the reinvention of the CD is um, for example, when Ryko reissued the, the Zappa records, one of the things that they did right back in the day was the booklet folded out to the 12-inch al album size. So you experience the artwork like you're supposed to. It's not like some mini tiny thing that you're just sort of like annoyed by. I mean, seriously, CD packaging has gotten to the point it's annoying because you can tell there's this disconnect that's happening. And this is where you get back to the corporate thing. An artist has come up with a vision for his art, but by the time it gets goes through the machine, it comes out as a illegible booklet that no one can read, and the artwork is so tiny that it, if it was a statement, nobody knows it anymore. Somebody has to say, let's do this right. So let's create like a best practices for CDs. And some of the ideas we're talking about is like, okay, how the artwork should be done for a, a, a CD that's done right. Okay, then, well, what's the social networking aspect of that? Because that's so important now. We've learned that through Record Store Day, that the more you get communicative with the people involved, the bigger it becomes and the more there's a sense of community and the more the value the music and art gets. Um, so how do we do that with a CD? It can be done. It's just, I don't know the answer yet. I just know that, that it can be done. Um, what, uh, you know... Uh, you know, how the store rolls it out, you know, uh, in reference to like uh, vinyl. So if we if we, we connected all the dots and we said, OK, in the best pop possible world, say we were 12 months ago, we were talking about David Bowie's new album for a record store experience. The best thing would be, well, OK, there's an EP that comes out on CD with some cool ass artwork that has some social networking aspect to it that educates you about this upcoming vinyl release of the album where you can really experience the record the way it was meant to be that kind of thought process is something that you know i think is our next step so i, I mentioned all this because you kind of uh, 
we're slightly uh, joking about CDs, but uh, we actually love CDs. Records, most, a lot of record stores really love CDs. It's just, uh, it needs some love and attention to it. Yeah. it it's just, just not well, done right. Well, it's funny you should, I mean, I personally have no, I have no vendetta against CDs whatsoever. I still have a rack in my closet with all my hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of CDs alphabetically organized because otherwise I'd never find them all. Um, you know, I have friends who've digitized their entire collections and then gotten rid of their CDs. Yeah. But I, that was the, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love vinyl so much is that the CD still allows you to search through your collection of albums and experience, even, albeit on a smaller scale, you know, you can search through and find the, your favorite Springsteen record or yeah. whatever in the, in the collection and pull it out and look at the liner notes. And because that's, I guess it, maybe that's where it all started for me because I'm a liner note junkie. Well, you know, I would add too, cause I'm thinking to myself, well, what is the value of what you're talking about beyond your personal value? And that's, pretty much everything but from a, a business perspective too we don't know where this is all going and 10 years from now uh having your cd collection may mean that you maintain the rights to the music that you've bought we don't know that in the end that what you're buying online and stuff as time goes on turns into something else a renting type strategy or who who knows what it is it's a in the end it'll be a business because that's what it is. And right now there's a lot of things that are going on that don't make sense business wise, but they're digitally. I mean, there's not a lot of money being made or, or a lot less than it could be, but they're doing it as experiments and stuff to find out what that final version is going to be. So I could see 10, 15 years from now where like people are like celebrating CDs and, and being like, Oh man, do you have that one? And like trading them and then just yeah. being a whole different culture because you know, there'll be people that grew up on it as kids. Yeah. And it all comes back, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If it sounds good, it is good. Yeah. And, you know, so there are some, they're doing some amazing things with, you know, high bit rate CDs and, and essay CDs and yeah. DVD audio, that kind of thing. There's more that can be done. They just, I feel like, I almost feel like the industry got lazy at one point. Well, it's, it, the industry's done a couple things that are interesting. I mean, from the days when it was driven by music people like Ahmet Erdogan or, you know, Brian Epstein or, these people that were just, you know, titans when it comes to like really uh, inventing the business and being big music fans. It morphed from that into, you know, by the mid 90s, I think the music business had become more uh, driven by people who just wanted to move a lot of units. Um, and so we've come out of the that era now where it's coming back to people that are really passionate about the music more and more. Um, yeah, so. it it almost seems as if it it had to be destroyed to be rebuilt in a better yeah, image. I think that that's and I I think that's accurate. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, let's focus a little bit back more on record store store day here. I mean, like it got such a strong start out of the gate. Um, you know, now we're you know just about to celebrate the sixth anniversary of this, and it's going strong. Like, how has it changed since that strong start? Um, I don't. You know, I think. I'll talk about the change for a second, but I got to say I'm more amazed by how much has not changed because we really by accident discovered what worked in the, and allowing the stores to be the focus of it and not having any like central power, any, you know, the labels invent like what pieces are going to be done doing. It's a very um, community based thing. So um, the biggest changes have been like sort of the, the, uh, the, the assimilation of, uh, 
record store day into international cultures, you know, like, uh, in France now, uh, uh, it's it's huge. I mean, like the par- uh, the president of France gave a shout out to Record Store Day last year. In Paris, it's the, if it's not the biggest music event of the year, it's like at the top two. It's huge, big deal. Um, I was actually uh, I went to France earlier this year. Was giving uh, given an award from the Minister of Culture for the um, Chevalier and the Order of Arts and Humanities, which is something they started with T.S. Eliot back in the 1800s. And it's given typically to people that are exceptional in some way. Um, And and the the more well-known people are people like Tim Burton or Bob Dylan or Van Morrison, Bowie. But there's hundreds of people like me that are unknown that they give this award to. But really what France is trying to say to, to, to people who did get the award is that you've done something to, to uh, a positive for French culture and for our country. And so we want to acknowledge that. Um, and I only mention this because it sort of uh, exemplifies what I'm talking about. It's like now I'm being invited back to other countries to celebrate something that they have taken on. It's called Disquare Day in, in France. It's sort of a hybrid of English and French. Um, but they've taken it to a whole nother level. It's like music festivals. Like This year, I think uh, there's going to be a big event in Toulouse with a music festival and uh, the mayor's you know, doing a big de- declaration of, and, uh, of the day. Um, the government is getting more involved. Um, so... That's I guess that's more of what it is, is that it, the other countries are taking it and then, uh, you know, doing their their exceptional things with it. It's uh, it's nice to know somebody's paying attention, yeah. you know, and, and then taking it to another level. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, every, there's all the stereotypes about Europe and how they do things better than we do when it comes to arts. And they do their culture yeah. seem to support the arts a little bit better. So I guess in some ways it's unsurprising to me to hear that, you know, this would find fertile ground in a place like France or yeah, overseas yeah. somewhere where you know like the the British music scene is just so it's such a small island but I mean look at just look at their exports the big name exports not even counting the small name exports yeah. in terms of the music business um so what you know who came up with the idea or or, or what is the role of the ambassador record oh, okay. store day has this ambassador which is like every year there's yeah. like, a, like almost like a figurehead uh-huh. and like how did that start and why well uh, I think it was the second year. And somebody said that Jesse Hughes from um, oh, what's the name of the name of that band? Is um, Eagles of Death Metal? What am I thinking? It's the Jesse Hughes. Uh, uh, it, it's one of the spinoff bands from uh, uh, Queens of Stone Age, and uh, he said that he wanted to uh, kind of be a spokesperson for it. And we said, cool. And I think I kicked it around with Carrie, the woman I work with, and we came up with Ambassador. And I don't remember if it was her idea or mine. I really don't. It's just lost in the mist of times. Um, And so we went back and said, yeah, well, you could be the ambassador. And he said, great, I'll be the ambassador. He was the first one. And he made a little short video talking about a supportive record store day. Then the second year, the baton got passed to um, Joshua Hame, also in Queens of Stone Age, but also in... uh, them crooked vultures he did it and did, did this really cool orson wells like black and white film that was just great you know having fun um that took it to a whole nother level and then the third year um we pitched the idea to uh sharon osborne to see if ozzy would do it and the reason we did is we he was very visible at the time and 
a pretty funny person, intelligent, also sort of embodied the kind of a, a, a mutant nature of music people. And he was perfect for that. And he was the first one that he did like some interviews for us and really tried to help us out. And then last year was Iggy Pop, which is, you know, to me was, you know, kind of a, a that's when I felt like, okay, well, we really met, we made it now, you know, Iggy's in on it. And then, you know, he did a couple of videos and he talked about how he started out in a record store working in the back room. And it was the owner of the record store who said, hey, you are a rock star just because of the way he moved and talked and stuff you need to put a band together. And you know, at the time he was just doing inventory for the records, you know, when putting them out on, you know, restocking and stuff. So, you know, and then this year with Jack White, he was, he's probably the one who sort of embodies everything, you know, he owns a yeah. record store. Yeah, between him and Neil Young are like the two biggest names in analog music yeah. in 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think is really interesting, if you look over the list of artists who uh, will be releasing things, and this goes back to almost the very beginning, um, you know, it's not just small independent bands mm -hmm. releasing their record on vinyl. There's big names mixed in there too. And I saw Springsteen in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is here, how does, you know, these are big, big names. These are cash cow artists for a lot of labels. You know, how does vinyl, you know, it's got this reputation for being kind of independent, and, but it's growing. How does that fit into the music business at large? Because you've got these big bands doing it. You've got these well, small bands doing it. I think there's a couple different things. One is Record Store Day has proven through SoundScan, which ironically is, probably responsible for the deconstruction of the music business because of what it did by driving everybody to like look at first week sales and stuff it was a very destructive thing garth brooks yeah yeah <laughs> um so record store day it's like what you saw happen every time we a record store day would hit there'd be this big spike in sales and this was despite the fact that most record stores don't even report to sound scan so their sales don't even it just affected everybody from itunes to the mass merchants because it just created a big positive wave of energy for, toward music so in that sense we've changed things quite a bit um uh, turned the corner on sort of a lot of the negativity on about the music business i think um the the thing with vinyl though when when you take it back to to the, the what's at the core of record store day is the art artists themselves look at their uh record typically as being completed when it's manufactured pressed and issued on vinyl prior to that they don't they don't feel it i mean you can see that i mean you see that in interviews i can when i talk to them about it i can get a sense that hasn't really changed there's something different from the artist when they get to hold their piece of art in that final 12 inch and it's a beautiful package. Um, they feel like, okay, my job is done. I can now work on my next project, whatever that's going to be. That's a very real thing. Um, whether it'll ever have the numbers like, you know, like that you would see with iTunes highly like unlikely because it's not meant for that mass production kind of thing. It just, it's that it, it just it's yeah. the opposite. And that leads me to my next point, which was that it seems like vinyl is almost, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm sitting here with you in the back of a record store here, surrounded by racks of records, and I didn't see a cat in here, but it seems like most record <laughs> stores have, a, one. have a cat. There's a dog. I think they have a dog. Yeah, okay. Um, 
but it's it reminds me of other grassroots industries like the yeah. one other one that i'm really familiar with is the craft beer industry which has grown a lot even through the recession the craft beer industry has yeah. grown and so many people in these grassroots industries seem to have like an esprit de corps where they see other stores as like brothers in arms yeah. rather than competition um, you know, rather than, you know, like I said, rather than being, you know, head to head against these stores, like maybe the big players would be, yeah. you know, they, they seem to share more. I mean, do you find that, I mean, from your experience, like dealing with all these different record stores internationally, do you find yeah. that to be the case? Well, it's definitely the case in my group of st the stores that I work with. We, we came to the realization of seven years ago that for us to be successful, all of our partners had to be successful because if we, there wasn't enough numbers then the opportunity to do the cool things that we're trying to do would go away. So we had to have the strength in numbers. Um, and I think that that sort of realization has been uh, accepted by almost everybody that I know in the community. Beyond that, depending on the, the market uh, or the city, um, some stores have histories with other stores and they share events, they sell tickets together to local shows, all kinds of things that, that are shared with them. You know, they share advertising in some way. Sometimes they'll tag both stores in an ad. There's, there's camaraderie on a lot of different levels. Yeah, I mean, like people, again, making crafty stuff, and that seems to be something I think people are longing for as our world becomes digitized. You know, once upon a time, uh, I remember, you know, I had a dot-com job back yeah. in the first dot-com boom and I remember thinking I'd, I had to renew my driver's license so we I went down to the I was going to go down to the DMV but then I figured out you could do it differently you could do it online you could yeah. renew whatever it was and I was like wow this is the greatest thing ever I didn't have to go fight the people and wait in line and in the beginning it was fantastic because there was this like alternate way to do things and then the internet took over everything and now there is no brick and mortar way to do those things anymore now everybody's in the same boat yeah. you know doing the, the internet thing and I think that people have missed having uh, a tactile way to do things. I mean, the Internet is fantastic. I use it every day, all yeah. the time on my phone. You know, some people's refrigerators are connected to the Internet now. But I think people are missing that, that personal touch. And music is, because it's vibrations in the air, you know, we're tied to that. I think it's, that's very real. And, and the best example I can give of that is um, how personal... Uh, record store day has become to so many people they bring their kids in to celebrate now to to get them you know so they can have this experience they 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 know what you're what you just yeah. talked about is true when you have these human experiences then you create memories and you create a, some kind of connection without it it's just a blur and it just goes by and it's almost like you become in a way imprisoned by this the vastness of it or something yeah. it, you, you, you just don't there's not a lot of um, shared uh, experience that you yeah. know that gives you the freedom to go okay well now I want to do this or I'm going to make plans to do that because you've done it in isolation and that's yeah yeah seems like everybody's got that album or handful of albums that in high school they had their first kiss that was that song that was playing you know in their car Absolutely. or the concert they went to in high school or these these these, these well, like, I, I think that that's part of the the uh the resurgence of vinyl too is the romantic aspect of playing a record if you're 17 years old 15 or whatever and you're making out for the first time and you put that needle on and then at the end you you know, whatever's transpired, hopefully it's been something great, you know, with your first person. 
and then you hear that little at the end that tells you the record stopped you've had this experience and anybody who's who's had it knows it and it is just wonderful and i think it's completely different than putting your ipod on a you know random play and it just remotely plays like something forever and you don't there's no connection to it whatsoever. It, I, it may seem like I'm splitting hairs, but it's a very real thing. No, it really is. I mean, you look at, you know, you do search on your computer, PC, Mac, doesn't matter. You search for something and all the files with that name comes up, no matter whether it's a, yeah. a, a, a Word document or an audio document or a photograph, you know, the, the tag changes at the end of the file, the file name, but it's just all the same stuff. It's all digital media. And this is something that really ties us, you know, the spinning disc, the, the crackle, the, the, you know, the, my, my turntable has a smell, Yeah. you know, my yeah. iPod doesn't it's, have a smell. It, it goes, <laughs> no. And it gets, gets down to even like uh, having physical stuff in your apartment or your home. I mean, everybody who's uh, brought home their date for the first time, there's the moment that they walk to your collection and check the spine out because they want to see who is this person? You know, that is, I mean, I guess you could do that on a, uh, get somebody's, you know, phone and then scroll their music. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that's something uncool about that though. Whereas like checking out somebody's record collection is cool. Well, you can do it while they're in the bathroom. That's yeah, what, that, but that's it's what like I would always do. I would go it, to a girl. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I don't mean like yeah, in a creepy yeah, stalker yeah, kind of way. I just yeah. mean, you know, you're in their apartment. They've invited you over, you yeah. this girl, you yeah. know, and they go to the bathroom or they go to get another beer or a bottle of wine or whatever yeah. in the kitchen and you get a chance to kind of wander over to their bookshelf or their record collection and now you get a chance to see it. It's like a window into, you know, is she a Cramps fan? Is yeah. she a U2 fan? Is she a Morrissey fan? Do I need to bolt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and all this, all this heterosexual talk has got me thinking about like, we haven't really talked about um, sort of the sexual politics of what we're doing. And, and I don't even really know what they are, but I, just to keep the conversation interesting, I should say that we were reached out by an organization in Ireland called Record Store Gay, which is a sort of a morphing of the celebration of record stores and the coming out of being uh, uh, homosexual. Um, I don't know where it's going. I think it's interesting. You know, I've tried to uh, be as inclusive as possible with music. Like, for example, this year, I reached out to the folks who work with Against Me because uh, I forget his name. He now goes by the name Laura. He's going through this sex change. Uh, He was with, you know, with Against Me, and now they're making a new record. And I reached out to them and, and I said, hey, would you guys consider recording Joan Jett's bad reputation for, for record store day. And this is the first time I've ever pitched a, like or done like almost like an A and R kind of thing. And, uh, they're like really into it, but unfortunately it couldn't be done in time for this record. But, um, I don't know the full aspect of how we fit into, you know, uh, gay culture and stuff but i think that's just starting to happen too i don't i don't know what it means yeah i mean i don't i don't know statistics and i wouldn't begin to know but i mean having worked in the music business and known lots of theater people uh creative people in my life they're a pretty important group of people pretty important group of people and a disenfranchised group of people and you know disenfranchised groups tend to you know pal up with other disenfranchised groups so it seems like a natural fit to me i remember the first when i my, my second record store job was in Boone, North Carolina. I was going to Appalachian State. And there was a guy who later came out um, as gay later. And I, know, I won't say mention his name because I, I don't know what's happened with him um, since then. But uh, he was such a visionary. He, 
I remember meeting him and I immediately knew there was something different about him in the sense that he just seemed to be on a different, uh, vibrating in a different way. And, and I remember he created an organization called PREP, P-R-E-P, which stood for Punk Rockers Evolving Progressively. And his first thing was to bring this new band who had just put out a seven inch called R.E.M. to Boone the play. I think it was like their band's second gig ever or third or something like this in the top ones. But um, I'm bringing it up because it was my first experience working with a gay person in the, in the music business and it was profound. And uh, I work with others, but more like they're either like on the art side, creating artwork um, for, you know, some of these gorgeous releases that are made. And the, and the record store they releases generally are gorgeous. I mean, the amount of love and energy that's put into them is amazing. Anyway, I, I went off on a tangent. I no, just, no, that's great. I mean, uh, it's it's all wrapped up together. You know, there's yeah. a there's a. I mean, it, it it doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. It doesn't matter really what band you like. If it gets you into a record store on record day or any other day, it's yeah. a good thing because it's going to support our industry. And people like to badmouth the industry side of music because it deserves it <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah, but, it, but but we need that commerce to get wait, the music yeah. from my bedroom to your to your ears. You know, I. I I, I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear people say disparaging things about the music business, not because it doesn't deserve its, you know, its share of criticism, but I know enough about business now that I'm in my mid-50s to know that our business is not that much different than any others. There's plenty of backstabbing that goes on in any, uh, any business. There's plenty of underhanded things that happen. There's plenty of things that happen that, that uh, are disenfranchising to the customer of that business, whether it's health insurance or an experience with your vet or, or your experience with your, you know, your, the guy who fixes your car. It's all kinds of things. But the reason I sort of cringe is because sometimes I, for the longest time, people used it as an excuse to not buy music because, oh, it was that evil music business. They're screwing the artist anyway, so we don't need to support the artist. Or, or I'll buy the T-shirt on tour, which I'm not going to say that, I'm not trying to say that all that stuff, there's, there's not truth in it. There is truth in it. But I know artists well enough now to know that it's heartbreaking for them to spend a year making a record, agonizing about the artwork, getting the mastering done just right, have that ignored and trade freely, not get a, any, much of any reward for it. And then somebody go, oh, I'll buy your T-shirt. It's yeah. just, you know, it's just, that's depressing. Yeah, well, read, uh, you know, who knows how much truth there is in any David Lee Roth book, but his, his like, autobiography, I think it's crazy from the heat, he talks a lot about how much of the t-shirt business, it, it, you know, especially at that level, Van yeah. Halen's level, I mean, that money's not really going to them anyway. No, exactly. There's so much piracy, and so, I mean, if you pay 30 bucks for a t-shirt, if the band sees anything, you know, or maybe, you know, on the smaller level, I'm sure bands who are, right. the, the bands who are meeting right. you at the t-shirt, you know the the merch table yeah. they're probably getting a cut of that to get gas to get to the next gig yeah. but if you're buying a van halen t-shirt you know who knows exactly and, and 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 really i'm not trying to say this to try to make anybody feel guilty about what they're doing i mean i burn cds i've sold my used cds you know everybody's you know the the sort of like uh a blurring of lines in 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 what we do as far as art and com commerce is there and it's very real but Never should be an excuse not to support an artist who, yeah. you know, who's, who's poured their lifeblood into right. creating the art. That was my initial point: was that we we need commerce. 
Yeah. You know, it, it gets bad mouth, but we, yeah. there's, there's, there needs to be some kind of infrastructure, however small or large, depending on the scale of the artist, to get the music from their guitar, their keyboard, their studio, their bedroom yeah. to you to listen to. You know, it's changed a lot. We can go directly to the artist in a lot of t- cases where we couldn't once, you know, couldn't at one point. Um, but as that scales up, it doesn't work that way. You need to have a, an infrastructure. I mean, as someone who's been an artist and is an artist, yeah. uh, you need help. You know, oh, I totally. I yeah. get frustrated doing the business stuff because I don't really care to. Most people no, didn't get into it to do music or to I'm, do business. I'm glad to hear you say that because another thing that's that makes me cringe is when I read about one of my favorite artists starting a record label. I'm like, oh God, here's the beginning of the end because there's no way you can create good art and run a record label the way you should. Um, and that, what that means is having all the talented people that it takes to deliver a record to the marketplace, to work with press, to work with media, to plan a tour, to create the merchandise. All these things take skill and personal energy and time. Almost every artist I know, and there are some exceptions, but you can go back to the Beatles, the beginning of the end. For them, there was a lot of other reasons for the end, but okay, now they're like running companies. Really? I mean, okay, that's cool, but don't let it take away from your art. And in the end, you know, John Lennon, I think, was the first one to bail out of the, you know, A&Ring bands or creating products and stuff because he quickly figured out, that's not what I do. I'm, I'm an artist. And the better, the sooner the better, I think, because there are some people that are suited for things. I mean, I would love to be an artist. I am an artist on, on one level, but I'll never be R.E.M., or you know new order or or even little feet you know, whatever band you want to talk this is an exceptional level of talent and but i have my own talents and i do things that i don't think those guys would be able to do because it's just not in them yeah well man i mean you've certainly found your niche with what you're doing uh you know being one of the founders of records today you've created something good yeah something really good. cool and something that's getting bigger and better and it just it, it resonates in it, our culture. It, it's it's uh, interesting now because it is turning into different things. Like uh, I I live here in L.A. and uh, recently befriended John Densmore. I might mention it to name drop here. The Doors from the Doors, the drummer of the Doors, and uh, he had come to a dinner that we had thrown for record store people, and he's wanting to hang with us. Totally dug where we were coming from, and he said we talked afterwards. He goes, you know, I'm putting a new book out. And um, I've got a publishing deal with a big publisher and stuff, but I want to talk to you about what you're doing. I said, okay, cool. Started talking. By the end, um, he decided to publish it himself. We hooked him up with an indie uh, book distributor out of Charlotte, North Carolina called Baker and Taylor. We hooked him up with Kobo eBooks up in Canada. So you can do it all through independently owned companies. He's doing a tour of record stores, which launches on Record Store Day up in Boone. I mean, um, uh, Bull Moose up in Maine. And then he's going to go all the way across the country, and we're also incorporating independent bookstores into it as well to sort of, sort of blur the lines back to what you were talking about, the community aspect that of one guy kind of helping the oh, other man. guy. The independent bookstores are like kissing cousins. Yeah, they're the same. They're, they're <laughs> it's us, the same right? boat, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're doing that, and we're doing our very first one, and it it feels a lot like Record Store Day did in the beginning, where it's like, hey, something interesting is happening here. I can't tell you where it's going. But it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. So, uh, you know, we just we're almost out of time okay. here. But tell me, you know, you, you're kind of 
I don't want to say sitting on the top because it's a very yeah. grassroots thing and you've, yeah. you've kicked it into the universe and it's got its own momentum. But you know, how will you celebrate Record Store Day? Where will you be? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, well, I should say for in years past, I went to Coachella because we have a Record Store Day store on site that Zia out of Arizona runs. But last year was the first year I stayed in L.A. and I hit like all the record stores. I did like everybody else, got up in the morning, had some coffee, got a, a buzz going, and then we all climbed into the car and then we all hit all the record stores in LA and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. This year I'm going uh, to Maine with uh, John Densmore and we're going to kick the book off uh, because he's doing a special pressing of hardback books. I sh should mention 2,500. They're going to be n limited numbered that he's going to sign for the indie bookstores and, uh, and uh, record stores. So I'll be celebrating with John. So I'll be like his chauffeur writing him around to like radio stations and television stations and all of that. I'd look, look at as very valuable experiences because now I'm finding out more what it's like for an artist at that level. So when I start working on projects in the future, it'll be like, well, I know what the record store experience is like. Now I know what this yeah, is yeah. like. And, and lastly, where, um, where do you see it going and where would you like it to go? And is that the same thing? Um, well, it's, you know, we do a sister event now in November called uh, Back to Black Friday, which we do, uh, it runs very similar to Record Store Day, but it's done more for like setting up the holiday se season and creating really cool releases that somebody would really want to give or get as a gift. So we have this sort of uh, bookended event that we're doing now. So every six months we have one of these. Um, so now it's going to be about full, filling in between creating things. I'm talking to Stiff Records about maybe doing like a, an ongoing series of releases with them. I'll just give you some examples. Um, creating uh, different uh, types of merch. We worked with Rush this year to do the Canadian rock, rock band, famous Hall of Fame band, to experiment with uh, creating uh, artistic statements for like clothing. Um, there's a shoe company called Clark's, which is very famous because in Jamaica, that's what all the Jamaican artists wear, Clark's Desert Boots, and they put out an edition of Record Store Day Boots this year. So we're toying, playing with that as as long as it fits the our ethos, our, our structure, where it's limited, numbered, special, we'll play with it. So um, that's, you know, we're playing in a lot of different areas, and where it really ends up, I don't know. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much for taking time out. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy man, especially with this Record Store Day coming up. So thank you so much for taking time out. And best of luck, man. I'll be out there on Record Store Day somewhere or other spinning something. Uh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Michael Kurtz and Vacation Vinyl in Silver Lake, and also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton, and as always, to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. You should go buy one of their records. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.